Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The date is the 1970s. The place is New York State. Your assignment is to listen to the case and ask, was a serial killer released from prison? You were the one they wanted, not me, the girl told her little brother, and she meant what she said. She had been shuffled between relatives, a place to place, while her mother was away at work and her father was overseas in the Battle of World War II. Didn't her own relative tell her she was an unwanted, accidental child? The little girl's name was Mary Beth Rowe. She was born September 11, 1942, in a little town in upstate New York. And she would grow up to become a serial killer. The Rowe family was lucky. Their soldier came home from the war. Or perhaps they were unlucky if Mary Beth's stories of his abuse were true. Mary Beth's father labored for the General Electric factory after fighting in World War II. In between clocking in as a press operator and clocking out were the beatings and locking his daughter in a closet as punishment. One reason she was punished, she had crying spells. Mary Beth would graduate high school to work in various low-paying jobs. Low grades had kept her from her dreams of college and low self-esteem had kept her from much else. People recalled her as having a very short fuse and a very nasty temper. Joseph Tinning accepted a blind date from a friend and met his future in Mary Beth. It was 1963. Two years later, the couple would say, I do, in their wedding ceremony, and the next few years was a roller coaster of joys and tears, laughter, Fun times, good times, typical marriage, with exceptions. In 1967, they welcomed their first child, Barbara. She was so pretty, with golden flaxen hair and a cupid's bow of a mouth. Mary Beth just loved dressing little Barbara in pretty dresses. In January 1970, little Joseph Jr. was born. And then, in October 1971, Mary Beth's father died of a heart attack. On his deathbed, with Mary Beth at his side, she waited for what she always wanted and needed, an I love you from her daddy. But he died without even telling her those three special words. It was after his death, friends and family would later say, that Mary Beth just seemed to slowly fall apart. Mary Beth would mature to stand a little over five feet tall. She would wear her short, blonde hair nice and neat. She was no beauty queen, strong of jaw, and most photos show her with this dour expression. But most people who knew her said they saw her as a loving parent and a nice woman. 
they did not see behind the door. The tinning house had plenty of secrets. Joseph loved kids, and he wanted a large family. Mary Beth seemed to love kids when they were there to show off. Otherwise, she didn't like their mess. She didn't like their noisiness. She didn't like the fact you had to care for them. She didn't like that kids demanded attention and time. She did a lot of yelling and screaming at them for being just kids. On December 26, 1971, the Tinnings welcomed another daughter, Jennifer. But this baby was not born healthy. She had meningitis and multiple brain abscesses that had developed in utero. Little Jennifer died on January 3, 1972, without ever leaving the hospital. Jennifer had only been dead two weeks when Mary Beth Tinney burst through the emergency doors of the Ellis Hospital emergency room, and she held two-year-old Joseph Jr. in her arms. She was crying that the little boy had had a seizure and choked on his own vomit. Although a total thorough examination found the boy was completely healthy, Joseph Jr. was kept for observation until January 20th. Joseph Jr.'s release paperwork had only been signed for a few hours when Mary Beth was back in the emergency room. Little Joseph Jr. was dead on arrival. His death certificate would attribute his death to cardiopulmonary arrest. On March 1, 1971, Mary Beth was returning to Ellis Hospital. This time, she was carrying four-year-old Barbara. Mary Beth said the little girl had gone into convulsions. Barbara was in a comatose state and died the next day. Her death was attributed to Rye syndrome, a brain disease with an unknown cause. Experts agree that about 90% of cases of Rye syndrome in children are associated with aspirin use. A nurse would later say she wanted to report this as a suspicious case, but a doctor told her to, quote, mind your own business. Three years later, on November 22nd, the Tinning family welcomed baby Timothy into their lives. But on December 10th, Timothy was brought into the hospital his tiny body lifeless. Mary Beth explained she discovered the baby dead in his crib. Timothy's death certificate read, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, also known as SIDS. While the exact cause of SIDS is unknown, there are some common factors. SIDS usually occurs during sleep between midnight and 9 a.m., and there's rarely any noise or struggle in the baby. SIDS contributes to half of all post-neonatal deaths of children less than one year of age. Ambulance sirens were biting into the chilly air, carrying Joseph Tinning, Mary Beth's husband, to the hospital. Joseph was admitted just in time because he had a near-fatal case of barbiturate poisoning. It was 1974, and the Tinnings were on a rocky road in their marriage. Mary Beth had just decided she would insert a stop sign in it all. She admitted to placing barbiturate pills into Joseph's grape juice. Well, maybe it was true love or guilt. Perhaps it was the fact that they were a couple encased in grief together. 
but Joseph declined to press any charges against his wife. It was God's will, he told law enforcement. Nathan Tinning was born to Mary Beth and Joseph in March 1975, and he only lived a few months until he died in the car. Mary Beth told authorities the baby was with her in their car when little Nathan died. In August 1978, the Tinnings adopted a newborn named Michael, a little African-American boy. He had the cutest smile and cute little dimples. On October 29th of the same year, Mary Beth gave birth to her sixth child, Mary Frances. But in January 1979, Mary Beth burst into the emergency room, located across the street from the family home. Mary Beth was crying that Mary Frances was having a seizure. Mary Frances was revived, and the incident was reported as SIDS, but the staff saved her life. Hospital staff did not see Mary Beth until one month later when Mary Frances was back again on an emergency room gurney. The little girl was in full cardiac arrest. She was revived but had irreversible brain damage and placed on life support. Little Mary Frances would eventually die. That fall, 1979, Mary Beth and Joseph had an eighth child. Jonathan. History repeated itself when the boy died in March 1980 after being kept on life support for four weeks. On March 2, 1981, Mary Beth Tinning took adopted son Michael to the emergency room. Michael will not wake up, she said. She explained that February he had fallen down the stairs and suffered a concussion. But there was nothing the medical team could do as Michael arrived deceased. Since he was adopted, the long-suspected belief that the deaths in the Tinning family was of genetic origin was discarded. It appears that children around Mary Beth and Joseph Tinning did not have long lifespans, but this was the 1970s and several factors came into play regarding both accusation and proof. As an investigator, why do you think no one suspected the couple of serial murder? Medical experts determined the deaths were of genetic origin. What else could it be? In hindsight, it all appears suspicious. But the children were not taken to the same hospital. And the causes of death were listed as natural, undetermined, or SIDS. There were no signs of abuse in any of the autopsies. However, a county's chief medical examiner would later say, quote, there were so many of us in on it, I guess. If anyone is negligent, I suppose I am. I probably should have said, there must be more to it than this. But we all think and don't do. The Tinning's daughter, Tammy Lynn, was born in August 1985. That following December, she died. Mary Beth had called a neighbor, frantic. She's not breathing! She's not breathing! The neighbor rushed over to the solemn two-story white clapboard house to find the baby lying motionless on the changing table. A detailed autopsy would determine the child's death was caused by smothering. On that day, the Department of Social Services and an officer from the local police department 
paid Mary Beth and Joseph a visit. The couple was taken separately to the police department and interviewed about Tammy Lynn's death. This is when Mary Beth, eventually, and after hours of argument, confessed to three murders, Tammy Lynn, Timothy, and Nathan. She was arrested and charged with Tammy Lynn's murder. Mary Beth would later claim her confession was made under duress. Police had threatened her, she insisted. She had made repeated requests for a lawyer, and her requests had been ignored by those mean old cops. Bill was set at $100,000. Mary Beth made payment and was released until her trial date. It had taken 14 years and the deaths of nine children. But all the investigators had was circumstantial evidence, at best. Except for Tammy Lynn, there was the coroner's report. The other deaths could not be physically proven. They could not rely solely on Mary Beth's admission to killing Timothy and Nathan in any way. She is now saying that she was coerced. All they had her on, the only solid case, was for Tammy Lynn. That's what they charged her with. The trial began on June 22, 1987, for the murder of little Tammy Lynn Tinning. The trial lasted six weeks. The seven-man, five-woman jury would deliberate for 23 hours across three days. Guilty of one count of second-degree murder, the verdict read. Her sentence? 20 years to life in prison. Mary Beth Tinning would be bedded down at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women. Her husband Joseph would later be quoted as saying, I still think she's innocent. However, Mary Beth Tinning's story does not end here. She attended six parole hearings every two years beginning in 2007. On August 21, 2018, Mary Beth, at 76 years old, was released on parole. She had served 31 years. Her husband Joseph happily awaited with open arms, and she will be on parole until her death. So, where is she now? As you are listening to this podcast, Mary Beth Tinning, suspected of murdering nine children, suspected serial killer, is living quietly in a home in New York State with her beloved, supportive husband. Because this suspected serial killer was released from prison. Hey listeners, this is Judith A. Yates reminding you that it is getting cold outside. And while you're inside staying warm, your pets should be warm too. Even if it's just the garage or in the barn, get your pet some hay or straw to curl up in to stay warm. You should keep your cats and dogs inside when the temperature falls below 40 degrees outside, even dogs with thick fur. Antifreeze is a deadly poison. It has a sweet taste that attracts animals, so be sure and clean up any spilled antifreeze. Check your car's hood before starting the car. Either bang on the hood or honk your horn because cats and small animals will crawl up in the engine space to stay warm and you don't want to start your engine with an animal in there. 
Clean off paws if you suspect your dogs or your cats have walked through rock salt because they'll lick their feet and that rock salt in their system is not good. Cats should never be left outdoors, even if they roam outside during other seasons. Bring them in. And remember, a pet carrier is not a doghouse. If you need a doghouse and are having hard times financially, you can usually find them for free. Check Craigslist under the free listings, and you can usually find them if you keep your eye open. Always provide fresh drinking water in the winter. And for more information, go to www.aspca.org. Let's leave animal abusers out in the cold. Let's not leave the animals. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.